millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Caged In, as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsilavas. You join us for one of our many Caged In Coppola, Caged In Coppola Connections episodes, Caged In Conversation episodes, Caged In Coppola Connections will be back next week, kinda, we'll be uh, dropping into that, but less about that and more onto this week's conversation. I talked to Andrew Morgan Smith, the composer for Nicolas Cage's first foray into the Western genre, The Old Way, all about how he worked on that film from the initial ideas, kind of merging traditional Western soundtracks with some kind of fresh uh, Rocky Mountain folk music ideas that he had. We kind of get into all of it, um, composing kind of in this new era since the pandemic low-budget movies, the love-hate relationship with temp music. We kind of go all over the place. This is uh, this is a great conversation and a lot of fun. So, yeah, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Andrew Morgan Smith. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by film composer Andrew Morgan Smith, a name you may recognize if you recently watched the fantastic The Old Way, and you would have heard Andrew's amazing music. How are you today, Andrew? Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm doing pretty good. So, so with, yeah, what's the kind of, what's it, yeah, let's jump in with what, what's the reception been like for you, like with, with The Old Way, and especially when people have, mentioning mentioning the music it's definitely something that has stayed with me since watching the film yeah i mean i think the re- the response to the movie itself has been pretty great um it kind of if i'm being honest it's kind of landing exactly where i thought it would um mm-hmm. with the audience um <clears throat> through the whole process i kind of i i kind of personally felt okay we're gonna i like I feel like we're going to be in like that seventy percent range, mm-hmm. um, which at least last I saw, I think that's exactly where we were sitting with the audience. You know, it's it's a fun ride. We're not trying to be anything that we're not. And I think um, the other thing that's so interesting with the reception to the movie is we're kind of going with the term um, classic studio western. Yes, because it's not it's not what you get with some of these more modern westerns where it's very gritty trying to be really um i'll just say like brutally honest about what the west was right it's going back to this idealized studio western from like the 40s and the 50s and then there's kind of resurgence in the 80s again um and now we're kind of getting a lot of this and and um most reviews of the music have been really positive you know i think most people who didn't like the music, didn't like the movie generally or Mm -hmm. didn't really understand what we were shooting for by not creating some you know, gritty hellscape. Mm-hmm. That's um, kind of interesting because, yeah. uh, like, coming out of TIFF, obviously Butcher's Crossing, another another Nick Cage film premiered there, and all of the kind of press for that was them saying exactly what you're saying—that gritty western. Like, this is an anti-western. We're showing like, uh, yeah. we're showing like how kind of brutal and unforgiving the West probably actually was, and it's kind of, 
I imagine it was, yeah, it's, it's quite refreshing to see something that's in that kind of archetypal mold of those films, like whether it is like the, the John Ford classics and stuff like that. Something that is like the the big studio music, uh, the musical? What was I saying? Uh, sorry, I've, I've been watching a lot of musicals recently. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the big studio uh, Western. Yeah. And there's, um yeah, and, and I think the score really adds to that and just kind of, I, re- I really want to dive into that. But before I do, I just wanted to ask you, when did you first notice what a composer was doing and the kind of impact they had on a film? Like, was that, was that an early memory for you? Um, actually it's funny. I, I, I grew up loving film music. I, I, so I remember one of my earliest music memories as a kid is this cassette tape of, uh, it was called pops in space. It was, um, Boston pops recording of a bunch of John Williams music. And, and for those of you who don't know, um, the Boston pops was, uh, basically like John Williams actually conducted for a while. Like he, he's been heavily involved with them. Um, and I had this tape even before I remember even watching most of these movies, um, you know, and I would listen to it and listen to it. And so I've always loved film music, but I didn't really see it as a career path until I was in high school and I saw the first, the first pirates of the Caribbean movie. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, it really popped for me. Like that was the, I must've saw the movie seven times in theaters. Um, and for whatever reason, I just really, you know, I mean, just like the marriage of music to film, all this kind of stuff, just really mm-hmm. said, I want to do that to, to myself. <laughs> uh, and that was like kind of the, and I, up to that point, I had, I played music, I took piano lessons, I played guitar, I played in band, I played in all these different things. So it wasn't like I was, and I came, my father was very musical, so came from a musical background, but it just wasn't a thing that I necessarily saw myself doing until that point what was the kind of music that was on in the house when you were a kid was it kind of what was it was it was there a lot of film music or was it kind of like i don't know rock yeah. like jazz? oh yeah i mean i i we didn't listen to much rock i mean we listened to musicals we listened to film Amazing. music we listened to a bunch of stuff like that um and and so i it just was it just kind of instilled from me in a young very young age this the, the love of the genre mm-hmm. right now um but I don't, I don't know, man, for whatever reason, it just, it just kind of, I wanted to be a composer, right? Like at that point, like I, I took piano lessons and actually to get out of playing piano, like my mom would make me <laughs> practice piano every day. And so I would like make stuff up and I'd say, oh, I'm composing. Cause I just didn't want to practice what I was supposed to practice. My first composed piece actually was a piece that, um, my dad had set up like the MIDI, like a MIDI, a very rudimentary early, you know, MIDI setup to go into the computer and it played into this, I played into this, you know, uh, notation software and I just made it up as I went. And then my piano teacher thought, oh, this is great. Let's make him actually perform it. Uh, <laughs> so I had to like perform this piece of music I wrote, right? Quote unquote wrote. Um, and it was obviously in- embedded in my mind of like, this is terrifying. Um, because it was just like random nonsense. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean... <clears throat> It, it uh, growing up, I was always kind of surrounded by that kind of thing, you know, playing in like concert bands and playing in, um, you know, piano and all that kind of stuff. What was it that kind of moment you kind of thought like, well, I can just write something and don't have to have this. No, obviously, like being like a concert pian- pianist or being a part of a band, there is that not added. There's almost like that pressure of we've got to go out multiple nights a week or whatever <laughs> and, and, and play this stuff. And the, was that the kind of awakening of like, well, if I compose stuff, I can kind of really fine tune it. Like uh, I don't necessarily have to play it myself. I can kind of yeah. hand over some sheet music to someone else. And it's like, I get yeah, I mean, this joy- is before. So I remember wanting to be in a band. I had a couple bands, yeah. you know, I had a rock band. I had a funk band in college and in late high school. Um, and the funk band was definitely the most, the, and I say the most successful, I mean, like, we made one album mm-hmm. and Amazing. we played one gig outside of the city I lived in, you know? <laughs> so it was like the most successful version of that. Uh, but it, I definitely saw pretty quick that, like, the gigging life is not easy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I can understand why, like, I kind of understand why so many people have trouble living that life and not, you know? Yeah, like- it's just just doing doing whatever you can to like try and break up the monotony and the difficulty of that job 
Yeah. Um, so, so I, like, I yeah, go ahead. Well, I I love I love like writing music and like tinkering with stuff. So like, yeah, like the theme music for this podcast. So like, yeah, I just kind of compose it and like, so well, it's a, it sounds like a rip off of the Godfather theme, but it's basically me learning the godfather theme forgetting how to play it try to play it and be like you know what that sounds close enough without me getting sued so i mean that sounds like my job every day <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like a I'm like, yeah i'm like a music library kind of guy like yeah 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 <laughs> no i mean so it's just you know i i it i it i am tremendously fortunate to be able to do what i do you know i have a studio in my house i wake up every morning i you know get my kids to school and then i get to sit in a room all day and write music. Um, you know, I mean, there are good days and bad days just like any other job, but at yeah. the end of the day, um, it's a very unique situation, you know? There's that thing as well that you can go in with nothing, right? And then come out the end of the day with with something tangible, like in, yeah. in a way, like you have you have this piece of music. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned, yeah, being in bands when you're in college. Was it, was it, uh composing you went to study at college or what, what was it was it music related yeah i i actually went and i did um music media and i ended up doing a double major like a double concentration in music media and music composition amazing um which is you know it basically like a music production so mm -hmm. it kind of covered film composition it covered recording it covered a bunch of different stuff um and then i ended up getting another a second concentration because there was only a little bit of hour overlap and I really wanted to go to USC for their film scoring master's program. Um, and they required a composition degree to get in or what they called equivalent composer experience, like professional experience. Um, but the real thing for me was it wasn't even college. I went to a smaller college uh, called uh, the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. And the thing that really was valuable to me there was that they kind of just let me do my own thing, frankly, mm -hmm. because they knew I was highly motivated. Right. So like I was kind of an insane person. <laughs> I was reaching out to USC teachers. I actually like did private correspondence lessons with a teacher from USC because I wanted so badly to do this. And then I, you know, I actually, you know, went out of my way to try and do these things and they knew I was self-motivated. So they like, as long as I was working on stuff, they, they kind of let me do what I was going to do. <laughs> you know yes what 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 like from like looking through your imdb and stuff like that it's obviously like there's a there's t yeah there's 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 t well there's tons of there's tons of credits loads of shorts and kind of like movies dating back all the way to what like 2009 um yeah. but one of the things i noticed especially in the the the, mo the more recent years there's kind of this spate of horror movie soundtracks like was was that did, did they was that kind of like something that fed into itself like you kind of do one and then that 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 that, that gets the ball rolling onto to something else or yeah how does yes yeah i mean some of that is that i mean also i've gotten pretty good at doing mock-ups so mm -hmm. for a while i kind of was this guy that would get hired to do orchestral very intense orchestral music <laughs> that they didn't have the money to hire somebody to, to, to like hire an orchestra to do. Right. <laughs> so, so I got really good at doing that. And oftentimes I would, you know, send a track to somebody to, to get some feedback, like from a buddy of mine, who's a composer. He's like, man, like, where'd you record that at? I was like, well, we didn't record it. <laughs> and he's like, well, and that, and, and so it was kind of a, I started to specialize in that genre because in this lower budget world, <laughs> you just, you do what you can. But I'd realized that unless I really put the time in to make the thing sound real, like I would, it would never sound real. No one's going to record the music for some B monster movie, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so rather than it sound kind of cheesy, I just looked at it as almost a puzzle of like, can I, can I fool people into making this think this was real? You know? <laughs> Uh, and it did kind of just feed on itself. Like some people heard what they did on one movie and then they were like, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. And then they would call me for another movie, you know? So if I'm getting this right, like your process is you just create it all in your home studio. So like with, with, with a lot of that stuff. So like. I'm it depends like, on the budget. Yeah. 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 So, so like the old way, that's mostly live orchestra. Yeah. Um, we recorded that in Budapest. Um, <clears throat> And we can get to a little bit later, like the whole process of where we got to that Amazing. point, like why, why I did that and what it ended up being. Um, 
but like a good example is you might be the killer which is one of those like orchestral based horror scores mm -hmm. you know um i was hired because the director specifically wanted 80s horror but he wanted he didn't want like carpenter horror mm -hmm. right yeah yeah Squirt he was like i sense. want yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he wanted <laughs> i want you know orchestral horror music mm -hmm. um and that was why that was like what got me the gig was my previous work in that genre, sending it to him and him liking that, you know. Um, so that was everything was in the box. It was it's called in the box. So like where it's all electronic mock up, you know, samples. Amazing. And when you play a button on the keyboard, I play a C on the keyboard. If I have my violin patch open, it plays a recording of a violin playing a C, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So so when it. When it comes to like stuff like that, like when you get, oh, I guess, I guess the old way is a perfect, perfect place to, or perfect film to talk about this with. How early, especially with this film, did you kind of come onto the project? Had the film, had the film wrapped? I know it can, it can really change on project to project, but how, yeah, how did it work with the old way? Like when, when did you get involved? On the old way, uh, I knew the way I came to the project was I knew a couple of the producers. <laughs> And they had kind of come on a little bit later in production. Um, I'm not exactly sure when they came on uh, timeline-wise, but they weren't like at the very genesis of the project. <laughs> they had kind of come on a little bit later. To, I think it was to kind of finish up some financing and stuff. And um, they came on board and they knew they were going to need to have a... Um, it, it was kind of this weird amalgamation, like this... I was there coming on board as they had already kind of, they were in the middle of production. I wasn't onboarded as an officially signed, but we were in talking about it and what they were looking at. And as the edit progressed, as, as they started doing edits on the picture and stuff, it, they initially had used um, a very guitar driven score. So it was a much more modern. So the, for the temp music, right? Mm -hmm. So temp music for anyone who doesn't know is a lot of times they'll place music in the edit. Yeah just to make sure that the emotional moments work. And a lot of times that'll inform what genre you're going to work in, you know, not that it's, we're trying to copy it at all, but just in the sense of like, Oh, it, I really liked how minimalistic this is or how yeah, big yeah. this is or how, whatever it is, you know? Um, but it just really wasn't working. Um, it, it was, it was really, the movie is very intimate, right? Like that's the thing yeah. about it with the with the father daughter relationship. Like the movie's really intimate, and it, it, with the guitar, with like the guitar being so small, the just movie felt like it had no scope. Mm -hmm. Like whenever you got to these really big cinematic moments, it just didn't feel like it had the scope it needed to yeah. it needed to have. So that was when the conversation kind of evolved from, "Hey, I want guitars," to maybe we need to be looking into the more like we talked about earlier, the classic studio Western mm -hmm. vibe, like what's the modern take on that? Um, so that all kind of happened as I was coming on board. I think that also kind of helped sell a little bit more me on getting on board because right. I do, I mean, I play guitar and stuff and I can do guitar based scores, but um, it definitely takes a much more specific skill set to do like a big orchestra stuff, you mm -hmm. know, with, with other instruments. So that's kind of how I came on board. Um, and the final the final, I think, I'm not want to say nail in the coffin because that is a that's a negative <laughs> in, uh, connotation. But like the final, the final, um, I think piece. pushed for Brett to want me on board was mm -hmm. they had sent me a rough cut of the film, not of the film, but like of the opening sequence, so like the whole hanging sequence and the wow. gunfight. Um, and I had had this idea banging around in my head, which was to like incorporate orchestra with Rocky Mountain folk music because it kind of takes place in the Montana yeah. area. Um, and so I, I got excited about it and I actually wrote the whole opening sequence. I wrote a good portion of that opening sequence. And I think that's what really both sold the the producers and the director on the style and then sold Brett on also bringing me on board. So you mentioned temp music there. Like what's your kind of general feeling on temp music? I know for some composers, <laughs> it can really be like, it can, it can, it can really like hamper the creativity right there yeah. and so especially with directors and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 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 asking you to spill the tea on like <laughs> brett, brett here but like obviously we can talk about it in more broader terms but obviously yeah. directors can become and as you said this one probably isn't the case because yeah it seemed like they they were aware that it wasn't potentially working but they can really get like 
I, do you know what I mean? I really love this, for instance, Hans Zimmer piece we're using here. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, it becomes, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it's like, well, yeah, yeah, like, Hansom is very, very busy, and I'm sure he can't yeah. do every. He tries to yeah. do every movie, but he he can't. Like, like, are you, are you able to like detach from it? I know that like certain composers. There's a great story. I think uh, Paul Hirsch, uh, editor for like Brian, yeah, long working Brian De Palma editor, and did Star Wars. Like, kind of said when they showed Bernard Herman like sisters. They they had some they had some of his music as temp music and he kind of yeah. lost his shit and said like yeah why are you showing me this movie with <laughs> with with any temp music let alone my music why are you showing me yeah. with any temp music I need to just yeah. watch the movie and like see how it makes me feel it's a, like it's almost yeah. like I'm a and I guess he's he was at the point where it's like. I'm as much can, a collaborator in this. As, yeah, he can as, do whatever you want. you want. Yeah. Bernard Herrmann can do whatever he wants. <laughs> I mean, I think I have a general love-hate relationship with temp. Uh-huh. Um, I totally understand why it's needed. I'm not a person who thinks you should necessarily edit without temp or anything like that. Um, and I think in some cases it's very useful, um, especially on tight turnarounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it, if you have a tight deadline. And everything's been working with like up to this point, oh, especially if you happen to be working on a TV project or something where you had to get an entire network to sign off on this project, then it can be very good um, to inform you about what they want, especially if it's if it's really well done, mm-hmm. um, you know, really well done temp music. Then you're like, oh, yeah, these are the moments that work. And Usually you do a spotting session anyway, so I usually like to do a spotting session with the director or the producer, whoever the the person calling the shot is, and and we can and that at that point I'll mute the temp music and we can go through and say like, hey, what if we did this? And we can kind of mess with options, but it's helpful, especially I mean, most directors and editors and producers are not musical people, and if for some reason, um words fail sometimes it's helpful for them to point back to the temp and say i really do like kind of the emotional tinge that happened at this point right on the other hand um you know sometimes temp music can be an active an active detriment um (laughs) because it's just there you know um and to brett's credit on this movie him and the editor and the producers all knew that there was a problem, right? They all knew. And even by the time I was coming on board and we were having these discussions, they had they had started to swap out the music to like some more older Western vibe stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they had like kind of swapped out a couple pieces and said, yeah, I think this would work, right? So to their, to their, um, not, uh, to their, Wow, my brain fails me. Credit, uh, right? Good on them. Yeah, 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 yeah to their yeah. credit. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, to their credit. Um, so so they were, and Brett, frankly, was really open to collaboration. Like, I think he just wanted whatever was best for the movie, and he's a musician himself. He played French horn in college and stuff. So he, whenever I, that's why whenever I sold him, I, I, I sent that uh, scene to him. It really helped sell what I was pitching, right? So it also helped sell him, sell other people on it, too. Um, but then there's the other, the dark side of temp music, right? <laughs> where like, where, I mean, I'd say even, um, I've had directors where, and I understand you listen to something a million times one way, right? You listen mm-hmm. to, you're in the edit and you've listened to your, to your temp music a hundred times, you know, and you're used to how it lands and you're used to how it feels. And it's hard to separate from that. So yeah. the difficulty comes in with um i've had i've had weird interactions where i've realized that the notes they're giving are not on my music they're actually on the temp music (laughs) you know like (laughs) i've literally had that conversation which is interesting um you know so i'm not averse to it if we have the time i'd rather not i'd rather have no music Mm -hmm. right i'd rather be able to watch the movie without any temp you know and really um Get, get be able to build those moments without any temp personally uh, have you, but have, have you been not aff- the world i live in i was gonna say have you have you ever been afforded that luxury of like being able to go into something cold and yeah just be like, yeah i mean so i always try in the spotting session especially to to have 
I always try to hold on to my viewpoint as a audience member as best I can. And I take notes as I do the spotting session to try and best hold on to that because I know six months down the road, not even six months, let's just say, you know, a month down the road, if you've been watching this movie every day, you've completely lost every kind of perspective that you could have. <laughs> you kind of have to rely on that initial notes of like, this yes. is what it is, you know? Um, so I've done a couple movies where we did that. I had that experience. Um, actually, I have a movie coming out in limited theatrical run called Bunker. Mm -hmm. It's coming out in the end of February, which is like a body horror movie. Amazing. Um, that is focuses around um, World War One trench warfare. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, it was one of those situations where the director, um, I don't even remember. I don't think there was any temp music in any of the cuts I watched with him. I know there definitely wasn't when we spotted it. Um, and Adrian, who is actually a composer himself, which is wild. I was like, you're hiring me to do this score and you also have written the last scores to your movies. I mean, <laughs> I'm honored, but, um, and the score is very in like the, um, like once again, kind of in that eighties horror, like aliens, alien kind of horror score, you know, mm -hmm. and it's recorded with the same orchestra that the old way actually. Um, but in that situation, that was completely devoid of temp same thing actually i'm working on another horror movie for adrian right now um but it's like very sound design oriented it's like amazing my my thought process is like what if like you completely destroyed and mangled a recording of a cajun band that's like kind of my <laughs> kind of my pitch um but it's the same thing we he's i saw one cut that did have a little bit of temp music in it but it had almost nothing um so so but but once again both those movies have had like a very long runway Right. Mm -hmm. Like they basically said, hey, we, we want you to do this. We want you to have the time to do it right. So, you know, let's let's we don't have to don't have to um, rush through this. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I think sometimes you can kind of rely on temp to guide things whenever you really have to get through it. You know, So, how do you go about building out almost like the the toolbox for and, and like the kind of instrumentation for, for a score like with. Yeah, with, with with the old way you said about that kind of mix of the the classic Western sound and the kind of uh, Rocky Mountain like uh, band sound, was that something that kind of came to you instantaneously, or was it like trial and error to kind of to to get to that, or was it, did something just about the visuals kind of went that that that's that's it for me? Yeah, I mean, so I think it drew from a lot of places. So first of all, we knew we didn't want spaghetti Western, mm -hmm. right? Like that was something that, that we knew we didn't want. We didn't want full on spaghetti Western. Um, you know, that wasn't where anybody was thinking. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of listening to older Western scores and just, and just kind of absorbing, um, a little bit, you know, obviously I try not to listen to too closely to any one thing because I don't want it to be, Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to say, oh my gosh, well, that's just a lift of this. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and obviously we're a product of our, of our, of all our listening tastes anyway. So it happens, but generally I was listening to those styles and thinking, okay, well, if I have this bass orchestral palette, right? Like we're going to do this bass orchestral palette. And I've done a lot of scores where I do orchestra with like some solo or some group. I've done a lot of those kind of scores and I was kind of searching for inspiration on, okay, well, how am I going to do this, right? And some of the things that did work in the temp score were actually in the more intimate scenes going into these, into more of like a guitar-based sound. <laughs> and um, so I kind of started to dig into that and then drawing inspiration from the location. I just, I had the thought of like, man, I don't, at least in my head, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I'm just not that familiar with that many action movies that are doing like banjo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not... It's like banjo and fiddle, you know, they they like incidentally show up in scores, but they're just not like they're usually much more deliverance and less action, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. yeah, more so, more of like a, a, I don't know, a, not a gimmick. Yeah, almost used as like they're a part of the scene itself or something like yeah. that. You know I mean? like, yeah, yeah or, or they're like part of the, they become part of the joke, right? Uh -huh. They're almost like, it's, it's like a, a cliched instrument at this point. Yes. So I thought it was interesting, um... You know, I, I just in my thought in my head, I thought, well, it would be great to find a way to bring that vibe into this, like into this, this, this classic studio Western. And and also one of the things is I didn't want to just remake 
you know, Lonesome Dove or whatever. Like, I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I wanted it to have, like, a newer edge to it. Um, and that was that was kind of where I drew. Whenever I kind of dug into the Rocky Mountain folk music stuff, and I also know a killer fiddle player, and um, he was the one who had suggested working with um, Seth Taylor. So Steve Reese, who was the fiddle player, I he's recorded with me a ton. Mm -hmm. I actually knew him. Like, we kind of grew up together a little bit. And um, he's recorded a bunch of my scores. So I knew that Steve would be killer on this, um, especially for the more emotional parts, uh -huh. all the parts with Ruth and all these parts. I was like, man, he, he would be great. And then I asked him, hey, do you know any fiddle, I mean, any banjo players? And to be fair, realistically, it should be claw hammer, which is like a variation on banjo. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know any claw hammer players. <laughs> so so we have banjo. Um, but, you know, that was that was kind of the genesis of this idea you know so when it came to actually like scoring it you said yeah you went out to to budapest what was that what was what was that experience like how, how like how big was the how big was the orchestra and like what was the kind of what was the what was the setup like obviously you said you got this fiddle player you got you got you got a banjo player like yeah what, well, what, man, what, what else we got it was I, so actually i didn't even travel there so obviously <laughs> like part of the reason you record in budapest is a monetary mm -hmm. pull, right? So like, and they're great musicians. They're amazing. Like the players are amazing, but it's like, they are, um, because they're more of like a budget option. As soon as you start flying there and booking hotels and stuff, it's like, well, you might as well just record somewhere else, yes. you know? Um, and also just for the ease of it. So whenever we tracked, you know, I'm sitting in my, in my studio, in my pajamas, drinking a cup of coffee, watching them <laughs> on zoom with, on monitoring them, you know, through um i think we were listening on source connect and um you know it's amazing like brett you know i think i don't even remember where brett was at the time brett travels a lot so he was on the road somewhere one of the producers was in la one of the producers was in baton rouge louisiana my orchestrator is in um in michigan and then my mixer is in Germany. He's working, you know, like Amazing. and there in Budapest. And we're just all on this stream listening, you know, giving notes, giving feedback. Um, and then also, I mean, the fiddle player and the um, banjo player and guitar player, they're all in Nashville. So like, <laughs> so, you know, it's very much a, a uh, multinational intercontinental yeah. project, you know. It's amazing. Um, but it's great. I mean, it's awesome to be able to, like we talked about, I've done a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. And you just don't get that much t that much time to work with live musicians. You know, it's just not something that you it's just whether it's budget or whether it's time, yeah. you know, it takes extra time that you're going to get all this stuff written out because I'm not actually physically writing, you know, notes on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. It's all played into a DAW. And then if it's going to be recorded, then I send it to my orchestrator and they write it out and they, mm -hmm. we send it to someone else, you know, so it's it's definitely a luxury to be able to sit there and listen to all your music get realized, you know? Yeah. I think on this score, <clears throat> I want to say it's like a 55 to 60 piece orchestra. It's a good size orchestra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, I have some video of the sessions up on my YouTube channel too, if anyone's Amazing. interested in checking it out. But, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great size orchestra. We did split up the group. So we did what's called striping. Mm -hmm. So we did... Um, we did the strings and woodwinds together. Um, and then we did brass separately. Um, partly you do that. So that way, um, for time's sake, because like the brass had so much less to play, you don't want just players sitting in the room, not yes. recording, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, maximize yeah. your time and budget. So, um, and then also it just makes editing everything a little bit easier, especially if you don't record in some huge studio. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the brass players can really easily overwhelm the woodwinds and strings. Um, even a small number of brass can really just destroy the sound in the room if they really get, get at it, you know? So, um, you know, I think we recorded everything in like nine hours. So, so with these kind of door compositions, like these kind of, I guess they had de demo tracks for it. Like mm -hmm. how far, like obviously, obviously they got the, 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 there is, there is something you get from a human playing it, but like, how different are they? Do you know what I mean? Is it kind of like, uh, like to the, to the untrained ear, would you like be able to be like, Oh yeah, that's like, everything's there. Do you know what I mean? Is it, is yeah. it is just every, yeah. Is it, is it every, everything's there. You can hear like all the flourishes or, or is there, is there scope to when you get the players to, 
to tweak stuff and like stuff doesn't work when you hear it played by a human as it were it just depends on the project <laughs> right I, i'm i am classically trained as oh, a composer amazing. so generally I know what works and doesn't. And then mm -hmm. there's another added layer of like my orchestrator is also classically trained. So, you know, if it, if for some reason I'm like, Oh, I just wrote that just to write it. Then my orchestrator's like, yeah, that, that can't be played that way. I'll, he'll, he'll take care of that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, whenever I'm writing for with that, when I'm writing, when there's going to be live orchestra, I definitely keep that in mind, right? Like I'm always in mind, of is this playable is this executable mm -hmm. because that's studio time that you have to pay for right mm -hmm. if for some reason there's a problem then you got to stop and figure it out and that costs money you know yeah. so i try to be very hyper aware of that kind of stuff um on the um on the the difference between the orchestra i mean when you a b it it's it's you can really tell mm -hmm. right i you know there's i did a piece um I did a, some pieces recently with that just had gotten turned down from, from studios. So like demo pieces that whatever, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. And I really like the tune. So I had them live recorded mm -hmm. and like, yeah, they're fine when they're in the mock-up stage, mm -hmm. you know, they sound fine. It's, 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 you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time tweaking them and programming them so that they yeah. would sound better. Um, but man, there's just something about the live sound, especially when you're going to a more like classic, like eighties, nineties score mm -hmm. that just doesn't come across. Like it's the phrasing, it's everybody in the room. It's yeah. just all these elements that come together that are really hard to replicate in samples. And what I mean, like you're going to be sitting there tweaking and tweaking, tweaking, trying to make it sound right, trying to get the performance you want, um, where whenever you do the live players just do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, there are other composers, there are certain composers in Hollywood that have really figured out like samples sound really good doing this, right? Mm -hmm. Like this one thing, right? Like they sound really good doing short notes and they sound really good doing held notes, mm -hmm. right? So that's why we get these kind of monolithic scores, I think, that that do these ostinatos and have these big block chords. And yeah, they sound really cool and they sound really interesting, but they're not, um, you're writing to the samples rather than writing to the players. Yeah. Does that was, make sense? Yeah. I was, I, I, I was always fascinated by different processes. I remember watching like, um, a document, like a short documentary. I think it was on either the life aquatic or the Royal Tenenbaums of how Mark Mothersbaugh like did the scores for those and kind of, he did them with, with live players, but one at a time. So almost yeah. like kind of like treated them like you would, a like a rock band do you know what I mean yeah. like a kind of like tracking an album and stuff like that and like the way he managed to and I guess that's a skill of its own right to like oh we can get players just so we've got the oboe player playing separately then we've got like this other, like we've got a horn player we've got a string player all playing separately but then when you put it all together it's like oh that sounds like people playing yeah in one room right and it's kind of like it's, it's that same thing of like you you're saying about how to like utilize samples and stuff like that and yeah I, I, yeah I, I, like like you say like obviously there is care and attention put to the demos but then obviously you can never you can never replicate do you know what I mean like there's well you're the, trying to replicate the thing that you can do yeah exactly right? <laughs> like it's like it's like all this time you know i'm going to make all this time replicating a guitar with a keyboard when you could just pick up a guitar and play it you yes. know obviously sometimes like we said earlier sometimes it's a matter of money sometimes it's a matter of time mm -hmm. and you just don't have it and then or or matter of circumstance i mean there's been a bunch of scores over the last two years even major scores that were step recorded one instrument at a time because people were in lockdowns yeah, people yeah. were in separated spaces you know so and i even i have a big band album that i did that was completely recorded that way like me playing saxophone, someone else playing trumpet, Amazing. someone else playing. And that's fine. But it's like, if you can afford to do it, mm -hmm. right? If you can afford to have the players in the room, I mean, it's just, in my opinion, it is night and day, yeah, right? Like just what they bring to the table. There's a reason why they're professionals, right? And, mm -hmm. and I am a professional composer, but I but I'm not out gigging and playing shows and yeah. playing con orchestra concerts, you know? 
Um, that's just not, you know, even down to how they perform on the instruments, like what's idiomatic, even on the old way, you know, I, I would write an idea for, for Steve, the fiddle player or for Seth, the banjo and guitar player. And, um, obviously for the guitar, it's like, I know what I, I can play guitar, but I'm not, he's like a virtuoso <laughs> banjo and guitar player. So I was just told them, I said, look, here's basically what I want. <laughs> if there's something that doesn't work, like feel free to try something else. You know, like yes. it's just, this is what I need. I need something that's fast or moves like this. I need something that does these things. Right. So, um, and, and nine times out of 10, what they sent me was probably 10 times out of 10, what they sent me was better. Right. Because they know their instrument, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. So it's like, we're spending all this time writing music for other people's instruments and, generally like they're going to know how that instrument works better than i do you know? yeah 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 yeah. it's great to hear that like being open to that like collaboration especially and you know, like yeah especially on a score like this like there's such like i don't know there's a grandiosity to it and that like there is something i think i think especially that fiddle and that banjo really do stick out of being like oh this sounds something different to this it's kind of like yeah. it's got it's got something that I don't know, like just re really, really draws you in. Uh, do, you, do you know if there's any ch like chance th this music will be like released in any way? Like, because obviously you've got a f few of few of the scores you've done have made it up onto streaming platforms and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it I, should. I, the plan <laughs> is it's supposed to be released on February seventeenth. Amazing. Um, you know, I, on streaming platforms. Um, oh, trying I mean, to get all that buttoned up. Just end of the year, kind of. Yeah. As always, end of the year, got everything going sideways. Um, that's the plan. I'll I'm be, really I'll, excited. And I mean, uh, the cool thing about also on this score, the I think the other thing that kind of is interesting about these, the fiddle and banjo stuff specifically, actually, is that there's a lot of modern processing on them. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch of delays. There's a bunch of like, it's not just fiddle played like a fiddle. Yeah. Right. Like there's, there are moments that it does that, but there are. Once, especially we get into Ruth's theme after she's dead, it's all processed. It's mm -hmm. like all, every, almost every time it's on the fiddle after that, it's processed with, with some kind of delay, some kind of um, reverb. It feels like really ambient and haunting. That was the whole vibe. And then also with, um, with Brooke's theme, um, a lot of times the banjo also has a bunch of delay and stuff on it. Um, so you get like these really modern elements on these old instruments, Amazing. right? Yeah, yeah. So when does that come into the process? Like, is that, is again, is that, is that like an early idea you have? Like kind of, we're gonna have, yeah, we're, we're gonna kind of use modern technology to kind of warp these instruments slightly and kind of do something interesting. Or is that there a bit of experimentation with that in the demoing process? There's definitely experimentation. I think the specifically the fiddle stuff when it comes to Ruth actually came about in the spotting session. Mm -hmm. So as we were going through the movie, um, you know, we're going through in the spotting session. Basically, I usually sit down with the main creative and we'll watch through the movie and we do very exact notes of like, hey, the music comes in right at this moment. Mm -hmm. It comes out right at this moment. We need to have a hit point. So like a really important thing we have to hit is this moment. Mm -hmm. And this is the style we're looking at. This is the emotions we're dealing with. Right. That's that's what we do. Well, we were doing that in the studio and the director sitting on the couch. I'm sitting at the studio desk and we're kind of going through it. And as we get through this moment, we kept coming back to this conversation of like, we need Ruth. Ruth is this new, is this, even after she's dead, is this reoccurring character to Briggs, right? Yeah. He's, he's been um, changed by her. And the whole movie, we're asking, like, how permanent is that change? Yes. Like, how permanent is the change that has come about in him? So the director, Brett, really wanted to have this brooding idea. So we have this darkness of the old Briggs come, that kind of swells and comes back and pulls him in one direction. And then we needed some kind of idea that would call back to Briggs and pull him away from the darkness. <clears throat> so we, we knew we needed this, this idea of, um, this like kind of haunting calling mm -hmm. idea. So during the session, during the spotting session, I said, well, let me, let me pitch you an idea. So like I pulled up a fiddle patch and as we were watching, I think it was the scene with, um, with Briggs in the barn as he's mm -hmm. like discovering the, 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 her death scene or whatever. Um, 
I I like kind of put just some basic delays on it and reverbs and I like pit and I played it for him like live while we were doing it um, just on my keyboard. And he really loved that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, like that was kind of his his touchstone. He's like, yeah, let's get back to that moment of with with us in the studio of you playing that back for me. So that was kind of an organic happening. Right. But but when it came to also the the banjo and once once I kind of introduced that idea of like, what if we had these modern tones like now he's like well i could put it on other things i could mm-hmm. put it on the banjo i could put it on the guitar i could yeah, put it yeah. on these other things and it kind of organically created this more modern tone which is what we talked about right bringing the modern tone yeah. to the classic western sound you know uh, uh, yeah I was, I was just thinking as you're saying that like i've listened to enough of the cure to know if you want moody and brooding like you put yeah. a bit of delay and reverb on something and that's <laughs> yeah that's the vibe you're gonna get straight away do you know what i mean like yeah man. The, the whole of 17 seconds is like let's just whack up that delay and reverb and like let's yeah, wallow man. in it <laughs> perfect <laughs> that's perfect uh, well before i let you go i just wanted to like yeah like obviously you've done some stuff with tv like and and, and anim- animation as well on on the our house like mm-hmm how does that like differentiate like is that process completely different with animation like are are you or is it the same are you giving it like it's animated the voices are on and now here's some music for it or is it is it you brought in earlier on in in in, yeah in that case well the owl house the owl house is uh, a unique case because i got brought into co-score with another composer so um they had a different composer in season one um, for whatever reason that didn't work out, they hired a guy who I had worked with before, mm-hmm. um, who's Brad Breek. He's awesome. He's done, he did like Gravity Falls and he's done a bunch of stuff. He's really been big in the animation world. Um, and we have the same manager. That's how we met. Um, and so he called me, actually, I just, I think I had just finished the old way mm-hmm. and, um, he called me and he said, Hey, um, I have this this show that I I think I'm going to need some help on. Um, it's just very time consuming. It's just it's just the the sh- it just was very it's a very time consuming show to write on. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way. It's just it's very animated. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's it's it. I don't mean animated and obviously it's animation, but like like you're hitting each moment, right? Like you're hitting. It's not quite like Mickey Mouse level where it's like uh-huh. dump, 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 dump. But it is like, oh, somebody does something and you have to have, you have to hit their reaction and yes. or something, hand someone to someone, you hit the, the thing. So um, he has, he had some other gigs going. He wasn't sure when this was going to land and he needed help. So I got brought in to work with him on that. So, so it was already kind of something that was rolling, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it was their, it's their final season. Um, instead of doing a whole season, they were doing just three like specials. So they're doing three hour long specials. Um, so it was kind of like a pre-existing framework that I came into um, to help him out on. Um, but uh, normally on animation, they have such a long runway, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it, to get started because they require all this pre-production and yes. um, and all that. So when I've auditioned on other shows, they're kind of like in the an- animatic stage. They're not super fleshed out, yes. but... Um, you know, once I'm writing, once you're writing on the shows, it's, I, I mean, I think we, we would have a conform. So like they would send us a, a, what they called a latch version. So it's not quite locked, mm-hmm. but all the animations are there. The voice actings are probably like 80% there Perfect. with a couple temp stuff. Um, and maybe every now and then you'll get a very basic animated shot that isn't quite done yet. And then, mm-hmm. then they send you a final version that you then conform to. Amazing. And Amazing. you make sure that everything hits correctly and you know whatever they cut or added makes sense you know mm-hmm. amazing well yeah uh, uh thanks for coming and joining me um andrew of course. One, one of one of the questions i always like to ask people especially especially if they've had an involvement in a nicholas cage film obviously you've got a horse in the race so yeah, uh, th- yeah. this what this one this one can't count but what what is your favorite nicholas cage film do you do you have one Man, I don't know if I have one. I mean, so I, I have like, and this is probably a terrible, terrible answer, right? And the reason why I say <laughs> the reason I say that is just because like I have a nostalgic place for it, right? That's the best place for, for things. Yeah, to yeah, sometimes. exactly. I mean, I, I, I personally, from like a like bubblegum pop standpoint, loved National Treasure. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because like I watched it as like a kid. Yep. 
And it's like, it also like was in my mind is like before cliched Nicolas Cage, which was actually like one of the reasons why I wanted to watch, work on the old way anyway, was because I watched it and it's like the anti Nicolas Cage at this point. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, an, he's an enigma. As, as somebody yeah. who's kind of been through this like wild journey of like watching all of his films and kind of studying them is he's a man who's like i don't know every every, every movie is a, is a dice roll and the fact he's 40 yeah. years into a career and it's this is the first the, western he's been in is, is is baffling yeah man no i mean it's great and that and i think like from a purely um you know a purely uh bubblegum pop nostalgia perspective that's what i'd say but um you know he's just done he's just done so much it's just so wild yeah. you know yeah was it, what <laughs> Like obviously, yeah, you would have known that he he would have uh, he would have he, yeah he would have been in this project. Was there like a oh wow I get to I get to score a Nicolas Cage movie like that's kind of like of well I mean that was part of the draw right part yeah. of the draw was yeah I get to score a western in a like classic western vibe which is something that's a lot of fun like I love that I do love that genre I, my parents are a bit older I grew up watching older westerns and John Wayne films and stuff so like there is that component but like watching nick cage especially once i saw it i was like well this isn't nick cage doing nick cage mm -hmm. you know which is unfortunately i mean maybe not unfortunate for him but like often is what he's hired for yes um you know it it felt different which was nice like doing something it wasn't just uh, there's a lot of these guys who were just kind of like all right i show up i show my face for 10 seconds and i get my check and then i leave it's like he's mm -hmm. in the whole movie he doesn't get killed off in the first 20 minutes. Yes. You know, yeah, he's in the yeah, whole yeah. movie. He's doing his job. He's doing a different kind of character. The other thing that really did bring me to the project was um, the idea that, and it's never like explicitly talked about, but it's obviously heavily inferred that the two characters are on the spectrum. Yeah. It's, and it was, it was something that was really interesting, right? Like it was never like, how do, how do you, how does somebody like that cope well, uh, I, I, with I, living at the time? It's It's a great way to, because I think if it's signposted, then you kind of lose the sense of the time. Because yeah. with it being unsaid, is yeah, the I think as we said when we discussed the film on the podcast was the language didn't exist like yeah. when this when this movie yeah. was set. And, so and also just generally, um, there was a challenge in that for me too because when you watch the movie, um, the performances because of who they are the performances to some extent felt a little flat mm -hmm. not because they're actually trying to be flat but it's like these are the characters yes. right like this is they don't experience emotion the same way as we are or they don't express it the same way mm -hmm. so one of the challenges was we really have to like i really have to i should say i really have to do some work on that right yes. so um you know, that was part of what brought about the jelly bean scene being like the banjo stuff. The banjo has like a really great character to almost have like a curiosity to it, mm -hmm. um, but also still has like a bit of a mathematical quality to it. Like it's doing these arpeggios and stuff that feel very like locked into time. They feel very, mm -hmm. um, they feel yeah. very metronomic, right? I, and very calculated, but it still has this upbeat and lightness to it. Right. And then the same thing happened in the, in the fire scene. Mm -hmm. The fire, um, the fire scene between Brooke and Briggs, like it was without music. It's just, it's, it's still, I mean, they're still doing a great job acting out the character, but it's like, we got to kind of fill in the blank a little bit. It's kind of, it, yeah, it's kind of dawned on me now. Like, and I think that's why the, the score resonated with me is obviously not, he's doing a lot of heavy lifting. Cause that sounds, that sounds like damning with faint praise, but like. <laughs> because 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 the characters and it is they're doing amazing performances with it but they they are somewhat yeah. emotionless it gives yeah. I, I guess that was a almost like i don't know a bit of a blessing for you in a way right in that like you kind of get to internalize or bring out something in the emotionality of the film that obviously the characters themselves can't express and it it, it that that's what movies should be doing right it's like everything pulling yeah. together the well, visuals just the, nothing the i mean it, it, i mean yeah exactly i mean it's just kind of part of what we do as filmmakers mm -hmm. but i think for sure i mean even i i remember hearing you talk about this on the um on 
the um on your other podcast talking about the old way it's like like the moment in the shop whenever there's the cut in there's like the close-up of of briggs as <laughs> the guy is talking about the apples and you just know he like wants to pull out a gun and just end this guy yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what i mean yeah. like he's just like he's just you could just see him like in a previous life you would be dead right now you know <laughs> and in the opening the opening the whole thing was we had to really show like here's this guy trying to exist in this world um and that was that was actually like i said one of the things that brought me was a challenge an interesting challenge right like let's play some of these jokes let's play some of these moments where it's like mm -hmm. this guy is pissed off that he has to sit here and listen to your bullshit yeah you know what i mean <laughs> or like or you know especially at the beginning like he has this very inquisitive daughter who just and it, like any parent your kids will ask you a million questions and a million questions and a million questions. And he's, you know, walking her to school and, and he's just being bombarded with questions. Right. So like playing each of these moments and trying to highlight his frustration mm -hmm. and their interaction was actually this great opportunity to, to, to amp that up a, a little bit more. Um, Cause without the music, it just, it just, like you said, it just it doesn't highlight what they're doing mm -hmm. enough, you know. Um, yeah, so it was it was. I mean, I don't know, man. It was a blast. It was a <laughs> it was a blast to do, you know. Amazing. Well, yeah, as you said earlier, is the next thing we can expect from you, like hearing music you've composed, the bunker, right? You said that's out. That's out yeah, in February. Bunker, bunker, I think comes out. Uh, it's late February and I don't know it's limited theatrical release so I don't know wherever it's going to go but I, it will be also getting a soundtrack release I'm shooting to have the soundtrack release at the same time amazing um, but that's a fun fun movie but it's definitely um, if you're into body horror slash war movies you know it's that is so it's definitely those two things <laughs> um, amazing. you know and I think the the last episode of the Owl House that I scored comes out in March I think they I don't think they've announced the official date um, but they seem to be releasing it every three months. So I cool. think that's the last episode. And um, yeah, man, it's exciting stuff. Well, where's the best place for people to keep up to date with like ed anything that you're doing? So obviously, the, yeah, like as, as as you compose stuff for more stuff and stuff starts coming out. Like, yeah, just looking yeah. at kind of upcoming on IMDb, it's kind of, yeah, like a good decent amount of projects, kind yeah, of, uh, kind of, kind of. <laughs> um, kind I try of to be there. prolific, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and um, Twitter as um, Andrew Morgan Smith is usually my handle on those. Cool. Um, I'm Andrew Morgan Smith music on YouTube. I try to do behind the scenes stuff and Amazing. I talk about um, advice for composers and sometimes filmmakers and do behind the scenes videos as well. Um, I'll be Oh. And uh, that those are kind of my my big spots, and obviously my website is andrewmorgansmith.com. So perfect. Well, yeah. I'll be I'll not be sure inventing to... it, not even th new things on that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be ensured to drop all of the kind of links in the show notes so people can easily find it and yeah, and check out the work. And yeah, if obviously if you listen to this conversation and you. You haven't seen seen the old <laughs> if you've way. Made it this far. <laughs> de 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 definitely do watch it, and, and yeah, be sure to 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 check out like, your streamers for when for when um, the the score drops. Because even isolated, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm I, I'm already looking forward to to to, to hitting the treadmill with some of some of the cues in this may, 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 maybe not some of the root maybe not the roof cues but some of the more like upbeat stuff i'll definitely be uh there you doing, go. There doing you a go. power walk too well andrew <laughs> thank you so much again for coming again caged in with me thank you so much man i appreciate it And there you have it, guys. The fantastic Andrew Morgan Smith. What a fantastic conversation. What a lovely chap. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed recording it. It's always fascinating to learn about the processes of people and their kind of creative endeavors. I always find, I always find very, I feel enriched and enlightened after having conversations like this. And I, I like to think that the podcast is not just like about Nicolas Cage and the Coppola family that it's about filmmaking and all of the kind of facets and things that go into it and th this is one of many of them and um, I'm always fascinated to talk to anyone kind of 
in any aspect of the filmmaking process and as things progress with the podcast i hope to do that lots and lots and lots more kind of eventually a talk to i don't know people who work in all different departments but that's producers the gaffers someone who works in lighting pas assistants kind of what it is entirely to make a film get 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 the insights from all of those people um if you yeah if you if you had a, if you had fun with this one as i said like uh, in the episode do check out andrew's stuff i said i'd put the links in the show notes they will all be there and if you want to get in touch with the podcast on any of the socials you can do and that's all at caged in pod on twitter instagram facebook letterbox and tick tock or you can drop me an email which is caged in pod at gmail.com as for next week here on this podcast I said in the intro would be kind of tentatively stepping back into the Coppola Connection strand of the podcast. And we will be doing that kind of in a tangential way to ease us back into the Coppola family. And that is to speak about the recent furore and rumours around the making of Megaropolis, Francis Ford Coppola's long gestating passion project that is self-financed and the rumours that that has fallen into disarray, uh, and, and and how how Francis has, has fought back, and so I thought next week I would talk to one of my favourite people to podcast with, Claire Ellen Hope of the W Rated Podcast, all about kind of Francis Ford Coppola's history with troubled productions and some of our favourite and kind of. Shine, like not shine a light they're, they're, they're well known but kind of discuss some of the bigger production snafus that have happened throughout cinema's history just the job to kind of talk about them wild things from history but also to kind of litigate what is what is happening what do we think is actually happening with megaropolis is it is it on the straight and narrow or is it kind of uh <laughs> a freight train careening for destruction and mayhem who knows it may be both of those at the same time and that sounds like a lot of fun to me (laughs) so be sure to join us next week as we talk all things francis ford coppola and production issues if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the podcast please do take your time to rate review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. And remember to leave a five-star rating and review. And always let me know what you think. Bill Murray says to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation. So as ever, guys, I've been Petros Patsilvis. I've been caged in. You've been amazing. And I'll catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.